1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: All right, well, if you turn in your Bibles, please, to Hosea chapter 5, we're going to continue in this Wonderful book, uh, one of the most unusual books in the Bible. Never was there a prophet who God uh, required to sacrifice his family life, love life, married life, in order to become God's visual illustration to Israel of the spiritual adultery that they were guilty of. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. Your word is a light that we need so much on our journey. It's the lamp. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. So Hosea chapter 5, it's, um, it's a chapter here, uh, 15 verses, and here's how it starts. Hear ye this, O priests, and hearken, O ye house of Israel, give ye ear O ye house of the king, for judgment is toward you because you've been a snare on Mitzpah and a net spread upon Tabor. The revolters are profound to make slaughter, though I have been a rebuker of them all. I know Ephraim, and Israel's not hid from me now. O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. They will not frame their doings to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord." And the pride of Israel does testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquities. Judah also shall fall with them. They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord, but they shall not find him. He hath withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have begotten strange children. Now shall a month devour them with their portions." Blow ye the cornet in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud in beth after thee, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke among the tribes of Israel, for have I made known that which shall surely be. The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore will I pour out my wrath upon them like water. Ephraim is oppressed, broken in judgment, because he willingly walked after the commandment. Therefore will I be unto Ephraim as a moth, and to the house of Judah as rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness, and Judah his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to the king Jerob, yet could he not heal you nor cure you of your wound. For I will be unto Ephraim as a lion, and as a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away, I will take away, and none shall rescue him." I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. So the book of Hosea has stood, and it stands today as a monument to the fact that God does speak before he judges. He does warn before he comes down in wrath. And that's what this is. This is a giant warning to the house of Israel, the book of Hosea is. It starts out with this word, chapter 5 here starts out with this word, hear, hear ye this. It addresses the priests. Hearken, it addresses the house of Israel. Give ear, it addresses the house of the king. And it says judgment is toward you. Judgment is toward you. That's a warning. A warning that God has made to Israel. And it's amazing how little regard Israel took to God's warning. Judgment is toward you, just like today. It's amazing how little regard people take for the fact that judgment is toward them. That's the same thing as God saying, you're walking right down the middle of the road to hell right down the middle of the road in hell. And so God cries out to Israel with this word, this very special word. Three words, in fact. Hear, hearken, give ye ear. Three very graphic words. Shema. Hear, he says, shema, which is how God called out to Israel in the last chapter, in chapter four. The same word, he starts off in chapter four. He says, hear ye the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land because there's no truth, there's no mercy, there's no knowledge of God in the land. So the word Shema has within its meaning purpose or intention. The word Shema doesn't just mean hear with the purpose of understanding. The word Shema means to hear with the purpose of obeying. So the word Shema has within it this idea of that there's an action which follows the understanding. Let me hear. It's not let me hear so I can know. That's not Shema. Shema is a let me hear so I can do. And so when the word Shema is what the Lord Jesus was talking about when he said in John fifteen fourteen John 15, 14, Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you friends of the Lord Jesus exercise shema they hear the word of the Lord Jesus and they do what he says in Matthew 7:24 he put it this way Matthew 7:24 therefore whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them i will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock builders on the rock of the sayings of the Lord Jesus, exercise Shema. They hear the Lord and they do what he says. Then the Lord goes on and uses another word in verse 1, which is translated for us, hearken. This is the Hebrew word kashab. Kashab. Kashab means to, it has within it the idea of bending. It has the idea of of inclining toward. I have a lemon tree on my backyard. It's built on on a bank in my back of my house. And there's a hedge behind it, and the hedge is tall, and so it creates a shadow. And so that lemon tree has bent itself in the direction of the sunlight. You look at the, the trunk of that tree, and you can see the tree is bending itself toward there. That's a picture of the Hebrew word kashab. Kashab means to bend, like to bend to the light. So, by using the word kashab, God is saying to Israel you, that they should bend toward Him. They should lean toward Him. It's like the picture that God paints of the opposite. He uses the word kashab in this verse of Zechariah seven eleven. Zechariah seven eleven, when he explains what it means to not kashab when he says in Zechariah 7.11, they refused to hearken, they refused to kashab, and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear, and stopped their ears that they should not shema. So you have within this verse in Zechariah 7.11 the two words that are found in Hosea 5.1, which are the words kashab and shema. They refused to kashab. They refused to hearken. They pulled the shoulder away and they stopped their ears that they should not shema. So, when they refused to kashab and they pulled the shoulder away, that's a picture of a person who's going the wrong way. And God tries to stop that person by putting his hand on their shoulder. And the very graphically, kashab would be to stop would be to turn, would be to lean toward God who's trying to correct them. He would shema with the purpose of obeying God. But instead, Zechariah 7.11 says that when they refuse to Keshab, they pull the shoulder away as if to say to God, get your hands off me. As if to say, I'm going to put earplugs in so I cannot shema you because I have no intention of hearing to obey And God says to Israel, don't do that. Don't do that. Shema, listen with the attention to obey. Kashab, turn to and lean to the God who's correcting you. Because God says, he goes on further in verse 1, Hosea chapter 5, verse 1, he goes on further in verse 1, and he says, give ye ear, give ye ear. This is another Hebrew word, azan, azan, azan. Means to make the ear wide. It has within it the meaning of making broad or making wide. Now we've all seen people, and I know what I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of people, but we've all seen people with really big ears. You know, kind of like you almost you do a double take. So boy, that guy has really large ears, ears that just seem to spread out over the side of the head, like they look like satellite dishes. They're so large. And when we see that, we think, well, he must hear everything. And that's the word azan. By using this word azan, God is saying, don't miss anything that I'm saying to you. Make your ears large. Make them broad. So by using that, God is saying, get what I'm saying. Don't miss. So God is telling Israel what he has been to them. He says, he says, first of all, he says, listen, it's very important you understand the judgment is toward you. You're walking right down the middle of the road to, to destruction. And then he says that my, I have been to you, Israel, in verse 5, I have been a rebuker of them all. And that means that there's one song that all of us can sing, all of Israel sang, and that's the song of of Isaiah 53.6, Isaiah 53.6. The song that says, not the Frank Sinatra song of I did it my way, but the other song that says, all of us, all we like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And with his own way, that's the song of our lives. We want our own way. We push to get our own way. We hurt other people to get our own way. We resist God to get our own way. And the Bible says that our own way is the way that's going away from God. It's the way of going astray from Isaiah 53, 6. And what we need to do is to stop from going our own way and get a good, healthy dose of what God calls rebuke. A good, healthy dose. And so God steps in in verse 2 and says, I have been a rebuker. Of them all oh, of their all so in other words God is saying essentially color me the rebuker color me the rebuker of them all and that's what the Bible says about itself when it says in 2 Timothy 316 2 Timothy 316 all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness the bible is breathed out by god it's not just any book it's a book that god breathed god breathed into man the breath of life in genesis 2 and man became a living soul and god breathed into this book his breath and by absorbing what that bible says we can be born again as peter says by the word of god And so the Bible is God-breathed. And you say, well, what is the Bible good for? What's it good for anyway? And this this is the verse in 2 Timothy 3.16 that answers that question. What's the Bible good for? What's the Bible for anyway? This is the answer. Scripture is profitable. It's beneficial. It's good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. The Bible is good to show us what is right for our lives. That's doctrine. The Bible is good for reproof, what's not right in our lives. The Bible is good for correction. That shows us how to get right in our lives. The Bible is good for instruction and righteousness. That shows us how to stay right. That's what the Bible is good for. It's to show us what's right. It shows us what's not right in us, it's to show us how to get right, and it's to show us how to stay right. But the word reproof in that scheme is the same as the idea of rebuke. It points out what's not right in our lives. If a person has no interest to Shema, if a person has no interest in hearing what is not right in their lives so that they can progress to getting right, and to staying right, if they don't have the full sequence of the Shema, then the Bible has no value for that person because the Bible is like God. It's like God in Hosea 5.2, a rebuker of them all. Now, the natural tendency that man has, that we have within our hearts, when something is pointed out, when the natural tendency that we have in dealing with sin is to just do what Adam did. In dealing with sin, as it says in Genesis 3:8, Genesis 3:8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, "Where art thou? And he said, "I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam was afraid when he sinned, and he tried to hide himself from God. And that was useless of Adam to try to do that from God, because no one can hide from God. As it says in Hebrews 4.13, Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. As it says in 1 Samuel 16.7, 1 Samuel 16.7, The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And Adam didn't really know the Lord in certain areas. Adam knew the Lord as his creator, but when God was calling out to Adam in Genesis 3-9, in Genesis 3-9 when it says the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God wasn't calling out to Adam because he, he was like Mr. Magoo with thick glasses on. He said, Now, where did I put that Adam last? Where was he last? He must be somewhere. Adam. He didn't misplace Adam. God was calling out to Adam, Where art thou? to send a message to Adam that Adam didn't know about the Lord. And that was that God cared about Adam, that God came to look for Adam to save Adam from his sin because God cared. He wasn't coming after Adam to destroy Adam, and that was the God that Adam didn't know. So Adam was running away from God. And that's the message that the Lord Jesus came to earth to bring, that he cared for man. He cared for man that had sinned, that he wants to save man who had sinned, that he came not to destroy man who had sinned because he said in Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. In Luke 9:56, Luke 9:56, the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In John 10:10, 10, 10, John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief cometh, not but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. John 12, 47. John 12, 47. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And finally, 1 Timothy 1, fifteen. First 1 Timothy 1, 15. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The only reason that the Lord Jesus will not save the sinner and will not give life to the sinner and judge that sinner is because of Hosea 5.4. They will not frame their doings to turn unto the Lord, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them. The sinner himself stands in the way of his own rescue because he refuses to frame his doings to turn to God. What does that mean? What does that mean to frame his doings? It means to put a frame around the picture, to put a frame around it, and to say, the frame says, this is sin. This is not a mistake, this is sin. This is sin against God. This is me in this picture here. I have framed this picture. This is me 100% responsible for my sin. I'm worthy of judgment. I'm worthy of death because I am a sinner. And if a person puts that frame around their lives, then God says, all right, now I can help you. Now I can help you. But if a person puts another frame around his life, a frame that says, this is a picture of a good person. This is a picture of a person, of a righteous person. I deserve to be admitted into heaven. Then that person has not framed his doings to turn to God. And the Lord Jesus says, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I can't help you because Matthew nine twelve. Matthew nine twelve. When Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole, they need not a physician, but they that are sick. Picture a person who comes to the doctor, comes to the doctor, sits down in the doctor's office, sits down. The doctor says to him, "What's the doctor always says the same thing, what seems to be the problem? What seems to be the problem? And the person replies, problem? There's no problem. I'm not sick. I'm healthy. The doctor says, well, if if there's nothing wrong with you and you're healthy, what are you doing here? Why would you come to me? That's exactly what people do today. Exactly what people do today. That's what the Pharisee did in Luke 18.11. Luke 18.11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And just like that person says to the doctor, I don't have heart disease, I don't have cancer, I don't have diabetes, I don't have any medical problems, I'm healthy. So the first step, God says, frame your doings. Frame your lives as being sinful and fall on the mercy of God to help. Why wouldn't a person frame his doings and turn to the Lord? God answers that in verse 4, in no, Hosea 5.4, Hosea 5.4. The reason is because the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of thee. That means that a person is overcome. That means that a person is overrun. That means that a person is overpowered by sex. The spirit of whoredoms is described in 2 Peter 2.14. 2 Peter 2.14, having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls. It says in Romans one twenty-eight. Romans one twenty-eight. even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. What's a reprobate mind? A reprobate mind is described in 2 Peter 2.14, eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. And the reason why they haven't fallen on the mercy of God to help them to get out of the sexual trap is because because of the last part of verse four, Hosea 5-4, Hosea 5-4, they have not known the Lord.
1: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, you can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org.